Welcome to our newest adventure for first responder wellness. No one fights alone. In-depth conversations about mental health and culture in the first responder space. We're joined by your co-hosts, Austin Pedersen and Brad Shepard. Welcome back to the No One Fights Alone podcast, where we honor the men and women of our nation's first responder community by having difficult conversations about the challenges they face to ensure no one fights alone. I don't know about you, man, but I'm, I'm exhausted. Buddy, I'm so tired. It has been weeks, it seems like, of just nonstop work, travel, conversations. Buddy, we've been hitting it hard. Last, uh, of course, that was, you know, travel's hard by itself when you're not sleeping in your own bed and you're out of your routine. Um, and then on top of that, we had, uh, you know, several events over the last basically three weeks that have been both challenging and pretty impactful to uh, what our mission is. So we were having to be on our game, high level. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if I've ever told you, but I want to tell you my theory surrounding hotel rooms and the sleep that you get at least the first like couple of nights, right? So I thought about this a long time ago, especially when I started traveling a lot for work and, you know, for the entirety of, you know, human civilization, whether it's a million years, thousand years, whatever the political or, or spiritual belief is. So sleep has always been the most vulnerable time for people, you know, in human history. You know, you know, they, I've heard so many people talk about this uh, and I love referring back to, uh, you know, Matthew Walker, that uh, sleep researcher. And he says, that's the greatest life hack known to man sleep, figure out how to sleep. Well, and that's what I'm saying. So like a thousand years ago, if you were sleeping, you could get eaten by a tiger or attacked or, or mm. whatever it may be. Right. So the hypervigilance portion of your brain can never truly go down to your REM or deep sleep because you are in danger constantly. And that's what I feel like it is when you go to a hotel room into a, you know, dumbed down quite a bit, right? Not like the danger of you're going to get killed or anything, but. I love where you're going with this. We're not on the job. We're not on the first responder job. We're not firefighting. I'm not carrying a gun anymore. Well, officially uh, in a law enforcement capacity, but I think where you're going with this, if I'm hearing your, your direction, right? You're talking about slowing down limbic system activity, right? You're talking about cortisol activity going on in your brain, talking about being in hypervigilance, having, uh, you know, the, the amygdala engaged on certain levels. I mean, that's a whole nother level of, of daily living that our first responders that we love, they, they live that every day. Yep. Well, that's why I think most people, whenever they're, you can go to one key sign that somebody is struggling or whatever that is. And uh, everyone has in common the fact that they're not sleeping well. So true. So true. Yeah. No one I know that has been struggling with PTS or PTSI or de depression, anxiety, or, or any of those things that none of them are sleeping eight no. hours a night. No, no none not of them even are even sleeping six hours a night. Yeah. Like they're in the, they're in the two to five. And if you ask them, I mean, they're tired all day. Uh, they're, they're, they're not more than likely they're not eating well. Um, and sluggish people oftentimes provides sluggish work, you know, 
again, referring back to Matthew Walker, the, he says he's got that amazing statistic that actually says uh, percentage point of number of people who can sleep six hours or less without impairment rounded to a whole number is zero. Think about that. And maybe, maybe the Elon Musk of the world, <laughs> right? Like the, I think I was listening to him talk about his like sleep schedule and what he did. And it was, even he was at, I think, six hours a night now in weird, uncomfortable. I had an uncle like that. He slept four hours and was on his game. He's a genius. He was a, he was an engineer, um, but he got, he, he got so much done. I mean, think about that. You're sleeping four hours, but how many of us can sleep four hours and be that productive through the day? Yeah. Less than 1%. Oh yeah. Rounded to all number zero. What I just heard you say was that we're not smart enough to sleep less than eight hours a day. Is that right? We're not smart enough to sleep less than eight hours a day. Yeah. You and I specifically is, is the one I'm talking about there, but yeah, it's been, it's been a crazy 24 hours for me, man. So this is probably the 20th time I've done this and obviously there'll be no names mentioned or anything along those lines, but uh, you know, a few times a year run into this situation where a first responder, medical professional, they find themselves in some precarious situations. Right. And, you know, I think it's a first responder's worst nightmare to end up in a psych ward. Would you say that's accurate? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Especially after years and years of putting people in those facilities, they understand what goes on right behind the scenes. And so a few times a year, you know, that does happen and we get a phone call and, you know, the, the interesting part of this is these people find themselves in these situations. And in my opinion, sometimes it's absolutely necessary. Don't get me wrong. But other times I, I find that they really don't need to, to be in that level of care, right? Or that, that lockdown S type thing where, um, you know, they're, you're getting somebody who's schizophrenic and, you know, a different level of mental health, right? And so a couple times a year, I have to figure out a way to get these individuals out of these facilities. And a majority of the time that is flying to wherever they are and trying to, the only phrase I have for it is like push my weight around to get them out and then fly back and then get them into residential treatment. And Man, the impact that uh, those facilities have on these people is staggering. Every single time I've done this, uh, there is some damage done to these people. Like they, they are humbled to the point that it is a different person than it was 24 hours. I dare hours. say broken. I dare say that, right? Like that's, that's maybe, yeah. you know, a little too far but definitely very close to that i am kind of under the firm belief that like nobody's broken like that's mm -hmm. you know they've they've had some troubles and issues and things like that but you know i i remember tons of people saying you know i'm broken and, and my response is well you don't need to be fixed because you're not broken like there's just some new skills and some new capabilities that you need to learn on how to cope but broken's a very strong word that's a great perspective I love that perspective. Kind of circle back. Tell the listeners what time your day started yesterday. Three. Yeah, three. And then you were crawling in bed at what time? Um, Probably about 8, 8.30-ish. So, well, the interesting thing was the night before, it was definitely a late night, right? Like, we're on the phone. Mm -hmm. 
planning these things and figuring out how to appropriately do this because also too when i say throw my weight around like there's definitely a barrier where that doesn't matter anymore right like they don't care also that i'm I'm trying to help this person sure and so they'll only let me do so much so late night phone calls i think uh last phone call was at like 11 15 p.m and then uh, up at three down to the airport 6 a.m flight land in a different state you know figuring out the the process to getting this person out uh, back on a flight again now with this person uh, the the hospitals normally release this person in these type of situations they release the person into you know quote unquote my care and then we hop on a flight and head back to utah and it's a long process and it's a long day uh, especially for them too what i'd like to point out is is how engaged you were i mean that's the, that's the exhaustion part you were you were having to be so engaged and being on your game mentally, emotionally, and physically at all points throughout that day, the exhaustion comes more than just being up for, you know, 12, 14, 16 hours. The exhaustion is emotional, mental, down to your soul. I mean, these are, these are all things that, you know, we certainly relate to with our listeners because they're out there doing the job and they, you know, they're the, they're the same way. They're engaged in this, not just the physical, but also mental, emotional. And I think, I think it's, is it fair to say that, you know, you were not only just, uh, helping this person travel, but you were comfort companion, uh, stability. You, I mean, you were all these things to this person. Is that fair? Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, that's where the exhaustion comes from. I don't think there's a little bit of a physical piece, right? Like, of course, just, just from walking and being up for a long time, but that's the emotional drainage of it is, is much higher. Right. And I take a look and I remember talking to a, a guy that uh, was part of the riots in Minneapolis area and he was working 24 hour shifts. And I remember thinking, how, right? Like how, how are you doing this? Not only during like one of the most stressful times in our you know country's history, but also, you know, I mean, you're out on the streets for 18 of those 24 hours, 20 of those 24 hours defending yourself and your your brothers and sisters and everything like that. No idea how people did it. Well, they don't do it without some type of significant impact to the body and the mind and the spirit. So how do we balance that? I think this is a good segue into, you know, what, what do we do? Um, when we're overloaded, overworked, overstressed, fatigued, uh, beyond just, you know, needing to sleep, we're fatigued, uh, mentally, emotionally, you know, what do you do? I mean, there's, there's never really like some good answers for this, right? Like I wish there really was, but my work life (laughs) balance is absolute garbage. It, it that's a fact of the matter, right? And uh, I think that's probably equivalent to a lot of the listeners as well. Like I don't work is my main priority uh, when it shouldn't be, right? And I get reminded by my loved ones uh, when it's needed to be like, hey, you know, come come back. You you live with us. We are your family. Like spend some time with us, and I it's terrible, but the work-life balance is something that I preach to other people, uh, and don't utilize myself. 
that was such a great story you told the other day and I don't want to overshare on, on, on anything private or personal, but you telling me that story about your loved one coming in and having that conversation was priceless. Oh yeah. Good for her. Yeah. And I have no problem sharing it. My, my significant other, she, you know, it had been seven or eight days of traveling plus other stuff. You know, I was probably coming home each night around eight, taking off at five thirty six in the morning. And I'm still going. And this is what instigated it is that it's actually revolves around the podcast a little bit is I felt like I was running behind on making sure that I could get some of these episodes out and I uh, was listening to some editing some and it's 830 at night. And, you know, we hadn't probably had like a decent conversation in a while. And, you know, so I get home, it's like 630. I go directly into my office and start doing all that stuff. And she lets me do it for a couple of hours. And this is why I absolutely love her. Uh, so everyone knows is she lets me do it for a couple of hours. And then around 830, she's had enough, right? Like she, <laughs> she is very wonderful about saying things in a constructive manner. But the, the conversation revolved basically around like, here's what you're doing. Let me, let me tell you from my perspective, what you have done the last five days, seven days, you know, a breakdown of the time you spent working or, you know, whatever it is. And when she outlined that timeline, I'm like, oh my God, I had no idea, right? I think you just get lost in yourself and your job and your work and, and all of that. It's brutal. Well, I think it's important to point out that she's, you know, she's acutely aware of, of some of the things that balances, uh, this is an important balance in life. And, you know, to her credit, she's bold enough to not only impart that on her own life, but to impart that on her relationship. Um, and I think that's a, you know, it's a great message for people out there that, is it fair to say she has permission? Because you, I actually asked this of you, uh, does she have that permission to come in and have that conversation oh absolutely yeah absolutely right i mean so many of us um i remember i remember not really being okay with those kind of conversations you know and early on and um saying that ah, you don't understand you don't you know you don't get me um but i think you know that's that's wrong thinking right there is allowing our loved one the permission actually to come in and have conversations of yeah, it's time to put that down. Time to yeah, and it's time to come give me attention, give our relationship attention, feed into, feed into us, feed into me. It takes. I think it's a great. Yeah, topic. it takes a lot. I feel like it takes a lot of guts for someone's partner to be able to do that because they, I think, naturally they are possibly opening up themselves to an argument, right? I think our natural human tendency is to get defensive, like exactly like you just said and say, you, you don't get it. Like we got bills to pay. We've got, I've got work to do. My, my job matters or, or whatever it may be. And you are absolutely opening yourself to an argument or it can go the other way, which is you take in what they say and really listen and then start to implement what they said in your in your life. Of course. 
you know, um, Kevin Gilmartin's book, Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement, talks about the owner of investment. Uh, that, um, and that, and that book is not just for law enforcement. If, if for people in the first responder community have not read, that's brilliant book. So simple. It's like a comic book read. Uh, but he talks about overinvestment in there and uh, how easily we do that within. Um, but it transcends first responders. You know, I'm, you're, that's what your loved one was telling you. Hey, you're overinvesting and I need you to invest in our relationship. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's taking a look at what your your values are, right? Like where you and I both know, I think that people in this field or the, the listeners, they value family so greatly, right? Oh, absolutely. And yeah, and, but we just I think naturally kind of sometimes take it for granted. I think that's just natural, right? Like the, the ones we come home to, like they're always going to be there. And that's just not the case, uh, unfortunately, right? And so that, that work-life balance and being able to, you know, appropriately give, because everybody has needs. That's the thing is I forget that other people have needs too, as well, besides just myself. You know, the, the certain definitions of, of, you know, words vary, but, uh, you know, the definition of joy is actually functioning when a person's functioning in alignment with their values and purpose. So, you know, I, I, I would go back to, and I'm, again, I'm just kind of putting you on the spotlight. So was there, was there an element of joy that was derived out of, you know, her coming in there and saying, come spend time with me. You did, you got up, you went in, engaged in conversation, spent valuable time, uh, engaged in that. What, where does your joy meter hit when, when that comes, comes around? Oh, it's so much higher, right? It, it is so much higher and it's a quick shift. If you allow it to be, that's, that's the real thing is like when, if you do actually allow your, your mind to move, into that joy feeling it's, it could be really quick. Well, and I think one of the practices of that, uh, uh, that's challenging to most first responders, um, is, you know, the mindfulness piece. I think you bring, bring up a valuable point, which is let's just do a little lesson here real quick. And let's talk about, uh, the, the practice of mindfulness. You know, people think it's kind of some weirder, weird voodoo thing, but it's, it's really not. It's, it's actually being present at that moment. Um, it may be, it may not be weird or voodoo, but it's actually really difficult uh, because you're, you're to be a practitioner of it is just being, um, just being present and being engaged at that moment without your mind being somewhere else. Um, you know, I, I found it interesting, you know, continue to kind of highlight your conversation uh, because I was intrigued by it that when we visit about that, that you know, you stopped what you're doing. You went and engaged in conversation. You were present. You were, you were there. Your mind wasn't somewhere else. I think actually turning this into somewhat of a, you know, a topic for us on this conversation is to. He said this, the lesson 
the homework assignment was for him to go home. Well, all of the students in this hostage negotiation class was to go home and engage active listening in their home, whoever it may be, their children, their significant others. Uh, this one particular um, young man that was talking said uh, at the end of the week, his wife came over to him and said, you know, I don't know what is going on, but I feel closer to you now than I have in months. And I, he was bringing this up as a, as humor, but also bringing this up like, holy shit, I'm not actually engaging at home like I could be. Uh, and it was a, it was such a great lesson with, within a lesson. Oh, absolutely. And look too, this is something that is very prevalent as well. I've had multiple opportunities to do the exact same thing that happened last week and I failed. Sure. You know, the opportunities have been well, laid out is. in front of me. Yeah. In the same exact way. And, you know, even possibly her saying the same thing and me being like, okay, cool. Bye. And then just going back to whatever I'm doing. Yeah. So I, I think it's fair to say too, that like expect or be okay with not doing well with this all the time. I appreciate you offering that up because we're not hiding lighting this to say that we're getting it all right. I mean, obviously you and I both, I just found it really uh, intriguing about that conversation. That's why I ask you a few more questions about it. Cause it's just, just such a great lesson, you know, and you didn't do it. She did it. You just responded to it correctly. Yeah. Well, she gave me the opportunity to write in, in a loving way. Sure. Uh, that, that, I think that was the most important part. Like there was no anger behind it, but there, there might've been, if I would have responded poorly, <laughs> it was right? coming the opportunity. Yeah. The opportunity was put out appropriately, but if I didn't answer that opportunity in the correct way, then who knows? Right. And that's, that's something I would have deserved, by the way. I want to be sure. very like Frank with that. If, if, you know, your partner or your loved one or whatever, it may be puts that opportunity out and you shove it right back in their face. Of course. I think it's a fair human response to, to get a little, anger back sure you know and that's okay that's that's completely okay but life life is just constant lessons uh, all the time if we're just again mindful enough to actually hear it see it experience it and learn from it uh it's a it's just an ongoing one ongoing lesson for sure and i and i don't i'll be the first to tell you i've failed 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 many yeah. times many times and we will continually. And that's that's something I've learned also too as I've aged and I've gone bald and the the grays come out of my beard is I'm a, I'm a lot better with failing now than I used to be. Well, so if if we kind of, if I kind of circle the conversation back, I I took this down this little rabbit hole but uh you know talking about the last 2 or 3 weeks um two weeks specifically, you know, you, you road tripped, I road trip. We ended up road tripping together at California. Then we went to Salt Lake and spent pretty intense time there and working out of Chateau. Then I came home to a family funeral that was really awesome. I spoke at it, you know, where I kind of feel like I'd like for us to circle the conversation is kind of what, what did we do after? I know Saturday was the, this past Saturday was the funeral. And then Sunday I spent a lot of time sleeping, but I also spent a, not, a lot of time uh, just being present and not engaging. I did some reading. Um, I did I did some things that were actually productive for me and my 
my own personal health, what I know kind of pours it back into my soul. Um, you know, I haven't always done that. I've learned the hard way that this is important. Um, but you know, what do I do, uh, to refill my bucket as it were, uh, with, with things when I've emptied my bucket, which come Saturday afternoon, it was pretty empty. And you know, what are those things? And, and so, I mean, what's your, what's your take on that? Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I feel the same way. Right. And, you know, I didn't also expect this week to be as busy as it has been. Uh, I think I was kind of forecasting maybe a little bit of time to slow down and, you know, gather and, and life just happens. Right. And so, but luckily I did the same thing over the weekend, right? Like big proponent of spending time with family, with my dogs, whatever it may be like, that's, that's how I bring myself down. And it's the same thing. Uh, uh, you know, you got to find whatever works for you. Like for me, it was an AA meeting this week there the weekend, uh, spent a lot of time with my dog, spent some time working on my house, made sure I had everything taken care of and going to bed, you know, sleeping through. I mean, it's still waking up at six or so every morning, but that's, it's like the little things, right? Like it's, it's even for me, like it's, it goes as far as making sure that you shower and do all the, the kind of easy stuff to make life just a tiny bit easier come Monday. You know, the reference, the sleep reference being the life hack, that's one of the trendy sayings is low hanging fruit, you know, in the leadership community, low hanging fruit. If that's, those are, those are low hanging fruit things, you know, take care of your seat, take care of yourself, get some sleep, get some rest, eat, eat good. Don't eat shit. And, you know, make sure you're getting veggies in, you know, those kind of, those kind of balanced things. Go for a walk. Um, if you're, you know, if you want to throw in a cortisol conversation that I think is a good timely opportunity to do that, which is, you know, are you drinking lots of water? I've, uh, I set out water bottles every morning that that's my goal is to try to get through all those water bottles. Um, you know, if I leave it up to my own devices of just refilling it on my own, then somewhere it gets lost and I end up getting distracted and don't do it. And, but it's a reminder to me, those little things, you know, those are the little things that, uh, I was just talking to my son. He's, uh, he was having a little trouble sleeping and for him, this is spring break week. He's like, damn it. I really would like to sleep. And like, well, you know, let's, if you give me permission, let's talk about what's, what does that look like in the evening? And, you know, I go back to Matthew Walker, are you preparing your body to sleep? And are you preparing your mind to sleep? Are you, are you getting geared up to sleep? Um, which is, you know, again, the life hack and, you know, those are all, you know, are you going for a walk, go for, are you engaging in uh, physical activity through the day? Uh, those are all, those are all things that are really important to that balance and, and, getting cortisol out of your system. And that's a, we can, we can spend a lot of time talking about cortisol. I don't want to take us too far down that road. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, it's simple stuff too, especially with the sleep. Like I've noticed this blue light stuff. I always thought it was a crock of shit, right? Your phone, your TV or whatever, you know, whatever it is, uh, Apple watches, iPads. If you actually put that stuff down, you know, and give yourself an hour or so where you don't pick it up, you can get to sleep so much easier. It is drastically different. I thought for years that was horseshit. It did not matter. And especially when I was, you know, back in the day when I was working on the farms and stuff like that, it didn't matter because you were so exhausted from the day physically that you could, you know, it, it's like old man stuff to where if, when you close your eyes, you're napping in about 10 seconds. But 
working a less physical job now than I was prior, it's real. Sure, of course. Like it is real. Well, the 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 simple fact of you know, of course, part of this is the community we live in, but oftentimes it's it's uh, you know, run to a drink could help um, alcohol in our first responder community. That's so common. Um, you know, I'm not sleeping, so um, have a couple drinks, get you to sleep. And the problem with that is you wake up, you know, two, three in the morning, and you're really not sleeping. You're not hitting your circadian rhythm, and um, so there's other there's other mechanisms and avenues by which uh, are much more productive and effective to uh, engaging in the sleep. That's a, again, that's a whole nother, probably should do one of these conversations on just sleep. I think we've actually talked about that a couple of times. We need to have somebody on talking about sleep. Absolutely. Absolutely. But anyways, Brad, it was, it was a pleasure this week. We, I'm glad we circled up and got to chat just the two of us. I know we spent a lot of time focused on other things and, you know, I want to get to my favorite part of these episodes where it's just me and you. I really enjoy these and we, I mean, we had a good time. We, it wasn't like our work was not fun or, or not, uh, worthy. Uh, it, we had, we had a couple of weeks of really good, good work and had a lot of fun doing it. You know, what is it they say? I think it was, uh, Will Rogers that said, uh, work's not work if you're enjoying doing it. I'm, I probably butchered that saying, but it's, you know, that's, that's kind of how I feel this is even though it's hard and there's a lot to it. Uh, I really enjoy what I'm doing and we've had a great couple of weeks. Absolutely. So the best part, are you talking about Hero of the Week? Of course. Well, Hero of the Week, I, I love this segment. I love doing this. Um, so I do a little research and and find out some, just highlight some, you know, there's just hundreds, if not thousands of our first responders out there just doing absolutely amazing work. Um, but this one touches your heart a little bit. This is a, this is a story that just came out this morning, highlighting a law enforcement officer in uh, Florida. So the story comes in as this, and I'm just going to read it off the news uh, blurb. Miami-Dade police uh, have uh, released a video of a rescue involving one of their officers and toddlers last month. Officers responded to the report of a car with a three-year-old boy inside submerged in a canal. Here's a quote. Uh, so the call went out. It was a child in danger. And this is what all cops fear. This is spoken by Sergeant Ed Webster in the video about the rescue. He says, he continues to say, it was hard to see the car because it was stuck under the bridge. Uh, Webster radioed for additional help after seeing where the car was and the limited access to its location. Uh, quoting Officer Emmanuel Walton, as a father, when you hear a child's underwater in a vehicle, their parent can't get them out. The first emotion that clicks in your head is go. Walton entered the water with other officers on the scene to rescue the child. Couldn't see through the water. He ended up coming up a couple of times and had to result to using his sense of touch to find the car seat and pull it out of its anchor. Once out of the water, Walton handed the seat uh, with the child in it over to other officers. Officers climbed up the embankment and then handed the child to Officer uh, Junior Cleverell, who immediately began CPR. The res uh, resuscitation efforts were successful and the toddler began breathing on his own. Both the toddler and man in the car were taken to the hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Hero of the week. Sounds like it's more than just one guy. Sounds like it's a team of Miami-Dade police officers uh, that were engaged in a team effort to uh, not just rescue that toddler and save its life, but save the family a lot of pain and misery. Again, it just, just warms my heart knowing that these first responders out there are doing their thing, and it's our job just to give them a little bit of credit in this small, for small fashion. Absolutely. 
I like hearing those stories for a couple of reasons is I think, you know, 15 years down the road, right? Like this officer may get the opportunity to meet this kid, right? And his family or her family, whoever, you know, they're going to talk about this for the rest of this child's life, right? Like, you know, these people saved your life and you're here today for this reason, right? When they go through struggles when they're 25 years old, hey, you know, you're, you're alive for a reason. So keep going. Yeah, you heard these great stories of, of uh, you know, things that have happened that were traumatic in a child or an adolescent life, and they come back later and find these first responders. Um, and oftentimes enter into the first responder community themselves. They'll end up being following in the footsteps of their, of their hero. Absolutely. Well, we thank that uh, team from, from Miami-Dade, and uh, we've got some cool stuff coming up next uh, after this. We've got some great guests, uh, you know, a couple from uh, Midwest, and I'm really excited for the next episode that's coming out. So, you know, everyone stay tuned. Uh, it's going to be a good one, and I think a lot of people are going are gonna to relate. Absolutely. A lineup of absolutely great people that we're going to have conversations with in the future. It's just uh, absolutely amazing. As always, Austin, I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much for letting me get on here and have some fun. Thank you for listening to this segment of No One Fights Alone. We want to give a special shout out to our sponsors of this episode, Chateau Recovery and First Responder Trauma Counselors. Chateau Recovery is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's First Responder Resiliency Program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues, it addresses the why. Each of their trauma-trained and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Recovery is trusted by departments and agencies from around the county to treat responders and veterans, in fact it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information, or to speak to a representative, go to ChateauRecovery.com or call 888-507-5031. First responder trauma counselors are subject matter experts in proactive behavioral health care for frontline workers through their National Peer Support Academy. This 40-hour, all badges, all uniforms, all scrubs, educational experience, helps you create caring, honest, and empathetic peer support relationships with your fellow frontline workers. FRTC's National Peer Support Academy is taught by actual first responders who have gone back to school to become culturally competent licensed behavioral health clinicians, who teach from lived experience not just theories from books. This fast-paced, immersive, educational academy will not just change your life, it will help you save the lives of others. For additional details, go to their website 911overwatch.org or contact First Responder Trauma Counselors at 970-222-4193. This could be the most life-changing academy you'll ever attend.